Hi, this is Andrew Phillips. Thank you for downloading the Gramier Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. If you have any questions or if you'd like to contact us, check out our website at gramier.com. We'd also love for you to visit with us in a worship service. You're always welcome at Gramier Church of Christ. For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made, made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw in my substance, being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written, the, day, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. What is it that makes something valuable? I mean, we know what it's like to go to a store to see a price tag on something, maybe to look something up online and to see a price set for it, but what really determines value? Now, this may not be a comprehensive list, but I was thinking over the last few days about the different factors that go into whether or not something is valuable. One of those factors may be where something came from. Uh, In Arizona a few years ago, there was a man sorting through his belongings. Uh, He was preparing to move, and he was looking at some of the things that he had, and he decided to call someone in to evaluate a poster that he had found. It was kind of a vintage poster uh, for the L.A. Lakers. He thought it might be worth something. And so when the person coming in to check those things, Josh Levine, arrived, he looked at that poster, but he also looked at this painting that you see right here. Uh, And this was done, as he found out, by Jackson Pollock. This individual didn't know that a famous painter had uh, painted this, and so Levine spent thousands of dollars trying to authenticate it and find a chain of, of ownership and origin. And he estimated that while that Lakers poster was about $300, he thought the painting could go for about $15 million. Because once you find out the origin, that can change. So the origin of something can give it value, but also how something functions, what something's purpose is, can give it value. Uh, Historians tell us when the Titanic was uh, beginning to sink and people were getting on the lifeboats, that people were scrambling all over the Titanic to find supplies, but they weren't grabbing for jewelry, they weren't grabbing for cash or money or any of those valuables. They were going after apples and oranges and things that they could take with them on a lifeboat because jewelry is wonderful, but it's not something that can keep you alive if you're floating in a lifeboat. They wanted what could serve a, a function. And so one of the ways we determine what value is is What about the function that's being uh, on display here? What purpose is being fulfilled? It's not just that function has something to do with value. Uh, It's also that the person evaluating it has a lot to say about the kind of value. And so you see here something they discovered in 2012 on Antiques Roadshow. I don't know if you've ever watched Antiques Roadshow where people bring different items and they try to appraise, is it worth something, is it not worth something? A school librarian from Cornwall in England showed up with this that had, was a bronze sculpture that had been used as a paperweight at the head teacher's desk, but they knew who had sculpted it and donated it to the school was Barbara Hepworth. 
And it was appraised for $981,000. Now, again, sometimes I have a hard time determining appraisals of these kinds of things, but this was something where they knew the sculptor, they knew who had given it, but they just hadn't really had the right person evaluate it. And so the school couldn't even afford to insure this sculpture. So now it's in the museum, and the librarian calls it the world's most expensive paperweight. Uh, and it's been placed in a museum on display. But it matters who does the evaluation. We might not have any idea about something until we take it to someone else, and they say, you know what this is worth? This is worth fill in the blank. Now, I just want us to, to think about these different elements, where something is from, its origin, what its purpose is, and then who's doing the evaluating. We've been going through a series on Sunday morning called Identity Issues. And we've been reminding ourselves that sometimes standing up for our faith in Jesus is going to cause us to stand out. Uh, that we're going to be looking different. We're going to be thinking different. We're going to be acting different than those around us. And we've thought about what it means to speak into a world that's confused about so many different things. We've talked about the confusion that exists in our identity and who we are and, and a confusion that might exist about the identity of, of Christians and who Christians are, who we're called to be. Confusion about families. Confusion about how we handle some of the moral issues like our, our identity and how we, how we deal with questions about gender, how we deal with questions about how we should live and who we should act. And I'd like for us, as we bring this series to a close, just to ask the question, how do we speak to a world confused about value? Confused about what is valuable and, and what kind of value we should place on different things. If we think back to just those three factors we mentioned, should it really surprise us if we live in a world where human beings are often considered not to have any origin other than just well, we just kind of happened. We just developed. There's no one who created us. If our purpose is often, well, I'm just going to try to, to fill my needs and my desires and just going to try to satisfy myself, and we know that we don't have a very good track record of staying satisfied as human beings. And if we're worried about how everyone else evaluates us and what everyone else says about us, or even what we think about ourselves, is it any wonder that we live in a world that's struggling with value, where people are struggling to feel valuable, to feel like they matter. And so I'd like for us to spend some time in Scripture thinking about what Scripture teaches, what God teaches about human value. And the passage that Jay read for us is a powerful way to start in the Psalms because uh, while the Psalms don't necessarily give us all of the technical scientific details of what happens in human development, we do get this beautiful picture of God at work from the very beginning of our lives. There's something reassuring about that. That when it comes to our origin, when it comes to where we come from, that life is valuable. Life is valuable from the very beginning. And so I'd like for us just to go through some passages in Scripture and I'm going to hit these kind of in a rapid-fire way, uh, and we won't have time to turn to all of them, but I just want us to get a sense of the sweeping nature of Scripture describing the value of human life. God's Word is clear that everyone's life is valuable. We begin in Genesis, in Genesis 2 and verse 7, 
when the Lord God forms man from the dust of the ground and breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Genesis reminds us that God is the author of life. There's only one God. There's only one creator. He's the author of every living thing. And then a verse that we read just a couple of weeks ago when we were thinking about God's created order. Genesis 1.27, that God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Which means men and women are made in the image of God. Every man or woman that you and I will see is a human being made in God's image. The psalmist would say in Psalm 100, Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us, not we ourselves. Psalmist tells us there's no such thing as a self-made man or a self-made woman. God made us. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So what does God want to remind us of several times in Scripture? That he's the one who created us. But notice when this creation takes place. Job would describe it this way. Job 31 Verse 15, did not he who made me in the womb make him and the same one fashion us in the womb? Or what about the 22nd Psalm? Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Isaiah 44, verse 2, thus says the Lord God who made you and formed you from the womb, who will help you? Isaiah 46, verse 3, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel. You have been born by me from birth. Or a few chapters later, in 49, verse 5, Now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant. Or Jeremiah 1, another prophet, saying, The word of the Lord came to me. Before I formed you in the womb, I I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. When we get to the New Testament... We may remember that scene where Mary goes to her relative Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting, we read in verse 41, the baby we would come to know in Scripture is John, John the Baptist. The baby leaps in her womb, and she describes the joy that's there. What we find out from this sweep of verses, and there are others we could use, is that God's design for human life begins at the very beginning that from the very time in which we are in the womb our life is valuable our life matters i hope that encourages us that from the very beginning our life matters and this has always been a contrast with cultures that christians have lived in it's not just the culture we live in today when we look at a document from the second century the didache that gives insight into how Christians felt about several things, it's very clear, even from this early writing, that description for loving your neighbor, the second greatest command, loving your neighbor meant there were certain things you didn't do. And there's a list here. You didn't commit murder, adultery, sodomy, fornication, or theft. That you didn't practice magic or sorcery. And then it leads to some specific challenges in that culture that you didn't practice abortion or infanticide. They understood the nature of life coming from the very beginning as designed by God. And it was countercultural in the, in the Greek culture where philosophers even like Plato uh, would approve of getting rid of children that were unwanted. Or even in the Roman culture where children were sometimes left 
just sort of uh, discarded to die of exposure if they were not desired by the family. The Christian faith always stood in contrast to that, ministering to these children, taking care of them. Christians have always been called to stand up for the value of human life. And in a world that's confused about value, it's good to be reminded that we receive our value because we're created in the image of God. And so I have to ask myself as a Christian, how can I stand up for human life, for the value of life? We always want to reach out to people in a way that uh, is compassionate and loving. And we know that in a, in a topic like abortion, that brings up several emotions and maybe some experiences that people have had. And we want to reach out in a compassionate and a loving way. And as we do that, we want to continue to communicate the value of life and what Scripture has to teach about it. What can we do to support it? How can we, in a loving but firm way, stand up and say we need to understand what matters no matter what the voices around us may say? How can we support people who are ministering to children and who are adopting children and who are showing God's love the way Christians have always shown God's love. It's good to be reminded of our origin that life is valuable. But it's also good to be reminded of what our purpose is. Because as we know life is valuable from the very beginning, now we reflect on what is our purpose? What is our use? Every single life is valuable. Everyone that I talk to is created in the image of God. Life's valuable all around us. So when we think about the way we function in the world, what our purpose is, in a world that's confused about value, we can see how easy it is to lose sight of that. In Psalm 139, that language describing the formation of, of the body, the language in there, it almost reminds us of a beautiful weaving or embroidery. There's intricate creation that happens from the very beginning that reminds us of God's work in our lives. The frame sort of reminding us of our, of our skeleton, of our structure, and that it's not hidden from God. It's something that God knows. And that means that's true for every single individual we communicate with. Everyone we work with, when we look behind their eyes, everyone we live near, when we look in their eyes as we walk by them uh, on our street, everyone that we drive by as we imagine who's in that vehicle, those are people that Jesus died to save. That He loved enough to send His Son. And not only does that motivate us to try to spread God's Word and try to evangelize, it also motivates us to love, to show that kind of love. And yet we also live in a world where there's an added wrinkle uh, that maybe didn't exist in previous generations, at least not in the same way. And that is, there's a lot of time today we communicate with people that we don't see in person. Where we're typing things online to people, or we're putting things on a phone and we can't see their facial expressions. Have you ever had one of those moments where you texted something to somebody, and then you thought, oh, I wonder how that came across? Like, I didn't mean it to sound that way. Like, if I read it in my mind one way, it sounds like it could be sarcastic. But I didn't mean it to be sarcastic. I was really asking a question. Am I the only one that's ever overthought that? Maybe I am. But we, we've had that before, right? It's hard to know just exactly how is this going to come across. And it's important whether we're communicating in person or we're posting something online to be thinking about the value of life for all those who are going to read it. 
A couple of weeks ago, we mentioned the challenge uh, that can be facing our children, our young people today, when we think about the online world and the fact that sometimes the conflict that's natural that we deal with at school with people who give us a hard time uh, in previous generations when the school day was over the conflict would be over for the day but now these things have a long life things that are videoed or posted or said or, or, or all those kinds of things they can sort of continue to develop it causes us to think really carefully about what we put out there that's going to be preserved that's going to stick around that can even be true when we get frustrated at times. Uh, I, I think often about the response that James and John had to Jesus when there were certain Samaritans in a village that weren't treating them the way they thought they should be treated. And James and John wanted to do something from the Old Testament prophets. They wanted to call down fire from heaven. And Jesus has to to calm them and kind of diffuse that desire. But I've felt that way before when I've read something that someone has posted online. Have you ever had that desire just to, I'm going to type back and it's like, I'm going to call down, I'm going to call down some fire. This is going to be serious. I'm going to respond in a way that's really going to show them what they need to know. Sometimes it's good to step back and say, you know, that person who posted that is a soul that Jesus died to save. It doesn't mean I change what I believe or what I think doesn't mean I change my convictions, but maybe I take a second and I think, how could I respond in a way that would exemplify the love of Christ? Because life is valuable all around us. And when we think about our function that way, people who are created by God and that value comes from that creation, it changes our perspective. Because our world would love for us to treat people as if their function, their value only matters in as much as they can help me, right? As long as they can help me accomplish what I want to accomplish, well, if, if we live that way, we're going to treat people in a way that's not very good. Because once they're not of any use to us, they don't have anything to offer us, we'll discard that relationship. We won't invest very much in that relationship. And so it's important to be reminded of the function that we have. If we look at life as a way, I want to use my life in order to just gratify my own desires and I'm going to use relationships as a way to get what I want, we'll never be satisfied. But if my function is, you know, I want to fulfill God's will in my life. I want to love others the way God loves them in my life. I want to show His message, His salvation to them in my life. That changes our purpose. All of a sudden, fulfilling my God-given purpose can give me fulfillment, whereas just trying to serve myself will never really satisfy. Paul told the church at Colossae that Christian speech should be described as if it's seasoned with salt, that there's something about that that stands out from the world around us. And in a time when, when words are cheap, when it's never been easier to say something without thinking to the maximum amount of people possible, it's good to be reminded that everyone's life is valuable. But when we think about not just our origin, where we're from, not just our function and our goal, where we're going, but the one who's evaluating things, that's another piece of our value that Scripture reminds us of. That when we think about who's evaluating us, it's God that's making that final decision. It's, it's why Paul would describe himself not as trying to be a man pleaser, someone trying to please individuals, but as a God pleaser. And when we think about God's evaluation of us, what does God say 
about us. Every life is valuable. And also, and this is important, if every life is valuable, that means that my life is valuable. It's not just about everyone else that I come in contact with. It's about me. Think about all the temptations we have to try to build our self-esteem in various ways that aren't healthy and that aren't going to last. Maybe we build our self-esteem on our accomplishments, on things that we've done, and we've achieved certain things, and we've got certain uh, trophies on a bookshelf or degrees on a wall or lines on our resume, and here's what we've got, and here's what I've done, and I'm going to build my self-worth on that. But the challenge with building our self-worth on accomplishments is a lot of times that satisfaction lasts for a little while, and then I start thinking, I think I need to do something else. I think there's another accomplishment I need. Then I'll really be valuable. Then I'll really be enough. And then you get that and you say, okay, there's got to be something else to do. And there's always something more and it never quite satisfies. Or what happens when you encounter someone who has more accomplishments than you do? There'll always be someone who's accomplished more, who's done more. Well, how do we regard ourselves then? Maybe we're tempted to build our self-esteem on the foundation of other people. And if certain other people approve of us, if, if they think we're okay, uh, then we're going to feel good about ourselves. Well, what happens when we get to a point where someone maybe has an opinion of us we don't like? And we realize, okay, well, they didn't agree with how I handled this or what I've done here. How do we respond to that? What if people are wrong? Haven't we known of individuals who have even large groups of people who've made wrong decisions and had opinions that weren't correct? What if their opinion of me isn't right? Does that change the way that I live? What if I try to build my self-esteem on maybe a self-centered image? That uh, I, I'm, I'm great because of who I am and because of what I've, I've done and whatever I decide is right because it's what I've chosen. And if I've chosen it, it's got to be right. And maybe we overlook our own shortcomings, which isn't consistent with Scripture. How do we build a self-esteem that's going to last in a world around us? I think Scripture reminds us that if God has created every one of us in His image, not only is every other life valuable, but my life is valuable. And it may be that the best thing I could be reminded of this morning is that my life is valuable because of what God has said. Because when God looked at His creation, He called it good. And then at the end of creating everyone, humans included, very good. That if God's creation is good, that's why I can have an understanding of my own value. It's not based on what anyone else says. You know, we can look on the news and we can see there are times when political leaders make a statement and it might affect the market or a CEO or a company makes a decision and all of a sudden stock prices can go down or up and it's good to be reminded in a world like that that the value we have that God has given us as made in his image cannot be affected by what anyone else says there's nothing anyone else can say about you there's nothing anyone else can decide about you that determines your value in the sight of God. It doesn't go up or down based on what other people say. 
You're valuable enough in the sight of God that he sent his son. Now, does he want us to serve him? Is the sacrifice of his son an offer of salvation that is conditional on our serving him? Absolutely. But our value in the sight of God is not affected by what other people do or what other people say. And if you're here this morning and maybe you don't always feel very valuable, know, number one, that you're not by yourself, you're not alone. All of us, if we're honest, have experienced that. But know, number two, that you were made in the image of God, that everyone is valuable. God's the one doing the evaluating. I'm not looking around at the world to tell me whether or not I matter. I'm looking at God. I'm looking at His Word to see what really matters. That's the ultimate foundation. And that's that kind of foundation that can help us through any challenges that we face. We've mentioned several times over the last few weeks how we deal with the relationship between our thoughts and our feelings and our actions. And there are times when our feelings don't keep up with our thoughts and our actions. And how do we deal with that? One of the ways is we can remind ourselves of the value that we have from God. Your worth is not based on what other people think about you. And here's another one to help us remember. Your worth is not based even on what you think about yourself. I don't know about you, but I I tend to be pretty hard on myself. I have pretty high standards, which means I'm constantly reminding myself of ways that I don't measure up. And sometimes we can be so hard on ourselves that we forget to remind ourselves that we're loved by God, that God is who makes us valuable. When I do something, even if I do something fairly well, it's, it's easy to look only at the downside. But God's evaluation is more important than our own. That means I care more about what God says about faithfulness than how I feel. I might feel really good about my faith, but I still have to take it to Scripture and say, does this line up with what God has to say? Or there might be times when I'm serving Him and I feel discouraged and I don't feel great emotionally, but I can go to Scripture and say, you know, I'm doing the right thing. This is what God evaluates as faithful. When we think about our origin, our purpose, and who's doing the evaluating, in a world where there are so many competing ideas about how you should live and what you should do, it's good to have that solid foundation that we were created by a God who knows us from the time we're in the womb and for our lives loves us and has a purpose for us. That every life is valuable. Valuable enough for Him to send His Son. Our origin means we matter. Our purpose means there's no greater mission in life we could offer the world around us than to seek to do God's will. God is the one who evaluates what we do and if we are valuable and His creation is very good. The challenge is, do we believe that? Are we going to live that? I was thinking about all of this uh, this week, the last several days, and had the privilege of uh, attending a couple of days ago uh, the funeral service for Tim Mulliken, the father of Kara Bishop. And we've been praying for Tim and for their whole family for years now. I've been privileged to attend a lot of funerals in my life, but I think this service will stay with me for a long, long time. There were beautiful memories that were shared by family and friends. And I was thinking about all these things in the context of what is valuable. And I was reminded of, of things that we know, but, but we need these reminders of when they described what really mattered 
the memories people had were memories of someone who would take extra time to help them, uh, to serve, running an auto parts business and serving people and helping them with their cars, often receiving nothing in return, just trying to help others. I was reminded of the value of service, reminded of the value of faith, that what really matters when we're hurting is what faith we can hold on to and how our faith impacts our family. And I was reminded of the value of love. Our culture doesn't often very put, put a very high priority on service or on faith or even love, but isn't it good to be reminded that what's really valuable is what we're given by God. And even in the most challenging times, we can hold on to that. You are valuable this morning. You're valuable enough that God sent His Son. And the invitation that we offer when it comes to the end of our our sermons together or our time together, it's not an invitation that comes from us, but it's one directly from God that He sends to His people that are made in His image. That if you need to become a child of God this morning, if you need to put Christ on in baptism, and you need to begin that new life, you can do that. It may be that you need prayers, that you need encouragement. Right after our worship time together, if you want to go out this doorway, a couple of our shepherds will be there in a a room where you can talk with them privately and pray with them. Or it may be that you want the whole church family to encourage you. Let's be reminded of what's truly valuable. And let's allow that sense of God's value to guide the way we live our lives. If we can help you in any way, please come as we stand and as we sing together. And as we sing.